Okay, so today's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and it's on page 540 of your Pew Bible. A time for everything. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call a past to account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the ministers here. And we are continuing our series of talks in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Um, Ecclesiastes is a word which basically uh, means the one who gathers. Uh, that's why in, in, in some translation it, it's um, the teacher, sometimes it's the preacher, sometimes it's the professor, or sometimes even the philosopher. <clears throat> and what I love about this book is that it forces us to face up to reality. And what is the reality? Remember from last week, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless or vanity. And the meaning, this meaninglessness is a bit like um, the breath of your mouth. Remember the experiment we tried last week? If you try to catch your breath in your hands, what happens? Oh, you cannot, can you? Why? Because your breath evaporates, it vanishes, it disappears, it doesn't lie, doesn't last. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes means when he says that everything is meaningless. Everything evaporates, everything vanishes, everything disappears. It doesn't last. And one day we will all 
die. Everything is fleeting, fragile, and futile. Unless, unless there is something above the sun. Unless there is an eternal reality which is not subjected to meaninglessness and death. Unless there is a God. Unless there is a creator in the light of whom absolutely everything makes sense. The natural world, for example, the world we live in, which points to his creator. And the history of the world, which points to his coming judgment. And after all, wouldn't that make sense? What do you think? If the meaning of his life cannot be found in this life, in this world, wouldn't it make sense to find it somewhere else? Not under the sun, but above the sun, not in us. But in God. And I think that's precisely what uh, the teacher wants us to do uh, this morning. I think that's what he's trying to do in the third chapter of his book. After forcing us to look at the meaninglessness of the world around us because of death. Death is what makes this life meaningless. If we die, what's the point of living? After forcing us to look at the meaninglessness of, of this world, he now forces us to look to God, to lift up our eyes to God, in the light of whom everything makes sense. Because he's not only the master of life, but also the master of time. Two points this morning. First of all, from verse 1 to 9, we will see that time controls us. Time controls us, verse 1 to 9. And the second and the last part of the text, from verse 10 to 15, we will see that God, God controls time. First of all, verse 1 to 9, time controls us. And then why do I say that? I think time controls us in the sense that it's a merciless and oppressive master. How many times... <clears throat> Does the word time come back in this passage? Did you count? How many times in nine verses? It's not too difficult. It's 14 times 2. 28. 28 times. Time is a merciless master. It's everywhere in the first part of his, of his chapter. Everywhere. And time is a merciless master because it forces us to do things we don't want to do but we have to do anyway why because we've got no choice let's take three examples look at this the first part of verse three for example there is a time for everything and a season for every activity thank you very much and the heavens a time to kill and a time to heal a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, that's a bit of a difficult verse, isn't it? Um, I don't think the teacher necessarily refers to killing people in this verse. I'm not saying it doesn't refer to that, but we don't have to understand it that way necessarily. Uh, the teacher might refer to killing animals. Imagine a shepherd who finds out that one of his sheep has a, uh, a deadly disease. There might be a slide for us to um, see what it uh, looks like for a sheep to be diseased. What can he do? 
What can a shepherd do when one of his sheep is critically ill? What can he do? Well, sometimes nothing. He's got to kill it anyway. Because he doesn't want the disease to spread to the rest of the flock. He doesn't want to kill the sheep, does it? But he has to. Very sometimes, sometimes, time to kill. And if you've got a cat or a dog at home, maybe you'll have to make that painful decision one day because the vet will tell you, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And you know what? It's painful. It's so painful. There's a time to kill. Now look at the second part of us three. There is also a time to tear or tear. Tear down? To tear. Is that right? To tear down and a time to build. I was really surprised when I heard that the Eiffel Tower, my Eiffel Tower, which was built in 1889 for the great universal exhibition in Paris, had almost been demolished a few years. Do you know what? Because of a long numbers of visitors, they said, let's demolish this tower. I mean, what a shame, don't you think? And what a waste it would have been. Can you only imagine Paris without its, its Eiffel Tower? That would be pretty meaningless. I wouldn't go to Paris with my kids in, in Jan if had, there wasn't even an Eiffel Tower. There's sometimes a time to tear down. Look at the sixth now, our third example. There is a time to keep and a time to throw away. Now, I still remember the time when Meg visited the place I grew up for the first time in my hometown in France. She's not here. That's fine. Oh, she can listen. Be careful. She basically wanted to throw out my fisherman jacket. Do you know this fisherman jacket? You get, they are so practical. You've got all these pockets in which you can put all your stuff. She wanted to throw it away. I said, why? It's, it's the fisherman jacket my dad got me when I went to study in England in 1998. I want to keep it. It's got a sentimental value. Please. But one day, let's face it. I'll have to get rid of his fisherman jacket. And Meg will be very happy. So there's a time for everything. And sometimes it's, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong, please. There is a time for everything. And sometimes it's just wonderful to be born, to plant. If you've got your garden, you know the joy of gardening. To laugh with your friends or your kids if you have a family. To dance at a party. Sometimes there is a time for everything. And it's beautiful, isn't it? It's great. But sometimes there is a time of everything. And I'm sorry, but it's, it's dreadful. It's painful. Why? Because time, time controls us. It makes us do things we don't want to do, but we do anyway. Why? Because we've got no other choice. In the past few weeks, uh, um, David Shannon and I and the parish council had to cancel a very important event in the life 
of our church, the multicultural Carol service, which has been unfortunately cancelled. Do you know that the service we usually run uh, next door? And it's such a wonderful time for us because it gives us a great chance to meet the community and, and, and we are supported by the local council to do it. But we, we, we had, I think, to make this difficult decision. Now, do you think that was an easy decision to make? Honestly. Do you think that in the light of what's been happening at our church in the past few weeks, after becoming a rather small church, do you think we've got the manpower, the physical and emotional energy to organize a public event which usually attracts over 500 people? Honestly, do you think we've got the manpower, the emotional, physical and spiritual energy to do that? I'm sorry, but I don't think so. As David Shannon would say, I'm smashed. I'm smashed. And I'd rather spend the little energy I've got left to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to mend what needs to be mended. You see, there is a time for everything. And sometimes it's, it's, it's dreadful. And I think that at this stage of the life of our church, I think it's time for us to regroup, isn't it? Don't you think so? I think it's time for us to spend time together, to look after one another. And Lord willing, the church will be able, or might be able, to organize a multicultural carol service next year and for the many years to come. for the benefit of others. And I'm sure that would be a wonderful time, a good time, actually, to do it. But for the time being, our church, our, our priority as a church is to get back on its feet. Don't you think so? So there is a time for everything. Time controls us. It makes us do things we don't want to do. But we do anyway because we've got no choice. And sometimes, sometimes it's terrible. So look at the question the teacher is not asking. Verse 9, that's, that's the, the end of his beautiful poem. What do workers gain from their toil? If there is a time for everything, what's the point? If there is a time to die, what's the point of living? Answer, there's no point. Unless, unless there is a God, unless there is a God who controls time. And that's our second and our last point this morning. From verse 10 to 15, after saying that time controls us, God, Ecclesiastes is going to tell us that God controls time. And that's such good news, isn't it? And what makes me say that? What makes me say in the passage that God controls time? Well, look at verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its, in its time. Now, if God can make things, everything 
beautiful in its time. Doesn't it mean that he controls time? I think it means that every activity under the heavens, under the sun, is controlled, is overseen by sovereign God who is basically everywhere from verse 10 to 15. Did you see that? God is the subject of all the main verbs. Look at verse 10. It's him who has laid on the human race the burden of toil, of hard work. Look at verse 11. It's him who makes everything beautiful in its time and set eternity in the human heart. Look at verse 13. It's him who makes it possible for men to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all their toil. Look at verse 14. Everything he does endures forever. Look at verse 15. It's him who will call the past to account. Did you see that from the text? God controls time. He controls the time we cannot control. There is a, a purpose behind all things. And that's so encouraging, isn't it? Whether you believe in God or not, everything that happened in your life in the past, everything that is happening now as we speak, Everything that will happen tomorrow, everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that reassuring to know that God is in control, that he controls the circumstances of your life? That's, that's, that's very good news, actually. But at the same time, it's so frustrating. It's so so frustrating and discouraging. Why am I saying that? Well, look at the second part of verse 11. So interesting. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Great. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Wonderful. Yet. However. Nevertheless. No one. No one can fathom can understand what God has done from beginning to end. Now, this is a bit of a difficult verse. But I think the teacher is basically saying that no one can fully understand God's eternal purposes, which can be, could be compared to a giant jigsaw. Do you like jigsaws? I love jigsaws. What God has done from beginning to end is a bit like a giant jigsaw or a great painting. Let me quote a Derek Kidner, a British Old Testament scholar, who writes this in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. We are like the desperately nearsighted, inching their way along some great tapestry or fresco in the attempt to take it in. We see enough to recognize something of its quality, but the grand design escapes us, for we can never stand back far enough to view it as its creator does, whole and entire, from beginning to the end. 
but so beautifully, beautifully said. And I think that's what the teacher says when he says this in the following verses, verse 12 to 13, because of a lack of total understanding of everything, we will be always frustrated and satisfied, always. So what should we do instead? Well, look at verse 12 and 13. We should content ourselves and be satisfied with what we know. Because this is a gift of God. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. I know, the teacher says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy. And to do good while they can, while they live, sorry. That each of them might eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. In other words, don't find satisfaction in trying to understand what you cannot understand, what you do not know. What the teacher is saying, is, is saying, is that we can't understand this stuff. What we should do instead is be satisfied with what we know. And what we know in verse 12 and 13 is two things. First of all, do good and fear God. And these are my last applications for us today. First of all, do what, we, do what you know to good. What we know is that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, to eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil because this is a gift of God. Now, I don't think the teacher is saying, don't worry, be happy. But rather, content yourself. Be satisfied with what you know, with what you have. Enjoy the simple joys of life. Going for a good coffee with some friends. Isn't that great? Or to a French restaurant with your family. We're going to a French restaurant with our French DT. Bible study next week. That would be great. I'm so looking forward to it. My favorite French restaurant. $40 deal for two courses. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to enjoy it. It won't last. I know, it won't last. But I'll go back again next year. That's fine. To quote John Wesley, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Do good, do the best you can. In, enjoy the simple joys of life. So what good can you do today, this afternoon or this week? Why don't you weep with those who weep if you know someone who is mourning? Why don't you rejoice with someone who rejoices? Why don't you speak to someone you usually don't speak to or you don't know really well? Why don't you throw away stuff you don't need and give them to charity? That's what I might do with my fisherman jacket. Why don't you stop trying to understand everything 
what you can't understand and trust God instead. And that's my last application for us today. First of all, do good. Secondly, fear God. Look at verse 14 and 15, the last two verses. I know that everything God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Now, in the Bible, the fear of God has nothing to do with the fear of darkness or the fear of heights or the fear of spiders or uh, if you're scared of uh, snakes like me, the fear of snakes. I'm, I'm terrified, by the way. I think it's got nothing to do with that. The fear of God is what you feel when you don't want to disappoint someone. Have you ever felt that way? You just don't want to disappoint someone. One of my, uh, in, in, in an interview, Amélie Nothomb, um, one of the most popular uh, writers in France, should be a, a picture of her, confessed that the idea of disappointing her readers made her feel terrified. She's terrified at the idea of disappointing her readers. She's got very high standards. She doesn't want to disappoint them. Is that how you feel towards God? You just don't want to disappoint him by the way you speak, what you do, what you think, or what you say. That's what the fear of God means, I think. To be humble, to recognize that we live under his authority, that one day we'll have to give an account for everything we do, everything we say. So if you're a Christian today, and if you don't understand what God is doing in your life, don't let anyone tell you that God has forgotten you. But fear him instead. Fear him. Keep trusting him. Keep obeying him by doing good. As Derek Kigner puts it, with God, all is foreknown. And nothing is overlooked. Nothing. God has no abortive enterprises, forgotten man. Everything that happens in your life has a purpose, everything. And you might know this verse by heart from a New Testament, Romans chapter 8, 28. Can someone quote it by heart for us? In all things, all things, everything. Does it ring a bell? God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his Purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're asking, question, if you're asking yourselves questions, and if you don't understand what is going on in your life, because you're suffering, for instance, why don't you listen to God who speaks to you this morning in his word? And who can shout, shout in your pains. Do you know this quote by C.S. Lewis? We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a death, death world. God loves. He loves you. He cares for you. And you know what? 
He made something beautiful in its time. God loves you so much. God loves us so much that he made something absolutely beautiful in its time. When he fulfilled his promises and sent his son to die for us at just the right time. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. When he sent his son to save us so that we would become his children when the set time had fully come. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. The question is, will you do something beautiful today? Will you? Will you become a Christian? Will you become a child of God by putting your trust in Jesus who rose again and whose resurrection makes it possible for us to do good, to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know, we know that our labor for the Lord is not in, in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 15. Why don't you do that today? That would be beautiful. Jesus is alive. And one day, he will make everything right. And everything beautiful in its time. Let's pray together. We can ask the Spirit of God to be at work in our hearts through the Word of God. Creator God, even if we sometimes feel that time controls us, the truth is that you control time. You are the master of time, the master of life, and you make everything beautiful in its time. You pray that your spirit will empower us to do good, the best we can for you and for others while we live. We pray that we would fear you and we would keep trusting and obeying you because Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead, making life meaningful and beautiful in its time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.